McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans. Welcome to Pure Forecast, episode 145. Well, points may not matter anymore in the table, but Pompey managed to win 3 0. Doing on the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Evening, Bunce. How are we doing? Yeah, I mean, the traditional saying is points mean prizes. If we're being honest, at this point of the season, points don't really mean anything at all, uh, thanks to where we are on the league table. But yeah, nice to get three on the board after a, a slightly very underwhelming performance against Cheltenham. Yeah, nice to see you, my friend. Yeah, and the less said about that Cheltenham performance, the better. We'll touch on that, but let's be honest. Freddie Webb, how are you? I'm not so bad. Yeah, not, not nice to be on again and nice to actually enjoy a game at Fratton Park. It was it was a while since I last there in in the North Stand, which wasn't ideal, but yeah, really, really enjoyed that game. What's wrong with the North Stand, Fred? Just very quiet and dull. Excellent. That's it. Sag off our listener base who sit in the North Stand. You're all no, bastards. Uh, when did I say that it's, that it's just not for me? If, if you enjoy sitting in the North Stand, I don't mind. Just, you know, I'd just rather be behind the front end, behind the goal. First nibble of the evening complete. Thank you very much, Webb. Uh, second thing, just before we crack on, um, Fred, thoughts on the hoodie? I've decided that out of pure protest, I'm going to rotate between my two Sidemen hoodies every week. So this is another Sidemen hoodie. So if you if I put my hood up, just not for the benefit of the listeners, but Fred, if you want to take any pot shots about the fact that you know I'm the only one not wearing fucking black, um, you you knock yourself out, mate. Because yeah, you're right. Color is is fun. We don't want that on the podcast. So any cheap shots you want to take, let's just get out of the way in the first five, shall we? Go. Yeah, for it. I prefer it to the other one because it doesn't have the logo on the front of it. Yes, it does. Yeah. It's got a different logo. That's a logo. Just a has it. That's a little. Oh, logo right. well, I can't see it as much. So I think that one is better than the other one. Ah, oh, thank you, Fred. I, I, I don't have a clue who we're talking about. I'm going to be honest. I don't know who they are. Now, Freddie, what you want to do here is jump in and saying, "Cue." That's because you're not a 15 year old boy, and then that'll be great. great well, like, well, I would have done, but you jumped in ahead of me. Yeah, I thought it would hurt less yeah. if it came from me, to be honest with you. But it still hurt quite a bit, even from my own mouth. Um, but thank you, Fred. I'll take your fashion advice on board, bud. No worries. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm not a fan of the hoodie anyway, but you know, it's nothing to do with the fact it's Andy's. I just think it looks a bit shit, to be honest. Fuck you very much. Oh, I couldn't make it to the game yesterday, which is absolutely gutting. I had to work late in East London. So, yeah, missing that game is is pretty bad considering the result and the general positivity that came out of it. But at the same time, these things happen and I'm glad everyone else who went to the game had a great time. Where were you in London, from? In Bud? That's a, I'm going to say that again, sorry. Where were you in London, Bud? I was in East London. Do you want the specifics about exactly where I was? Um, I was in, where was I? I was in Brixton instead of at the game. So I was wondering if I was near you. 
not too far, but yeah, I was basically on the Isle of on the Isle of Dogs, so I had to go to Canary Wharf for work, um, in just south from there. So, yeah, couldn't get there. Usually, if I finish if I finish work in Wimbledon, I can get a train down straight away, so I can get it to the Tuesday game. But unfortunately, when you're stuck on the other side of London, we could, I couldn't get there in time. Yeah, fair, but yeah, Tuesday night's difficult. Um, I ended up at this pub quiz and. We got to the last round and uh, one of the questions, it was one of those rounds where if you don't have to answer all the questions, but if you get one of them wrong, you get no points for the entire round. And one of the questions we had that no one else in the team knew was, which is the only island city in England? And I was like, right, bish, bash, bosh. So Pompey helped me out. Did you like jump up like a little bit of a fist pump when you when it came up as a question, or did you like take your shirt off and run around, or what happened? There were there were five other people on the team, and all of them just went. Portsmouth's not an island, it's part of England. And they were like, are there any cities on the Isle of Wight? Are there any cities on Guernsey? And like, <laughs> no, no, Portsmouth, it's, it's Portsea Island. I, I know this, but you know when you start doubting yourself, when five people are like, no, no, it's not. And you're like, I swear we're called the island city. And then honestly, the wash of relief over me when I didn't cost us the entire round of points. And uh, yeah, that got us a, a bottle of wine for for third. I've had oh, the same. Cool. I had the same situation at a quiz when someone asked an ice hockey question, and it was who scored the winning goal in the Stanley Cup final. Fortunately, it was against my team, so I knew that and begrudgingly said it. I did threaten everyone not to get it for the free beer round because I refused to say it. But you know, I, I stepped up. I was a team man. Got straight in there. Uh, you know, swallowed my pride and accepted a shitload of beer in return. So that's ice hockey, right? Yes, that's ice hockey. Ding. I, I also got accused of being a cheat in a pub quiz once for a for a, for a, a southern based question when when I was asked <laughs> what the uh, stretch of sea was between Portsmouth and the Isle of Wight. Knew it was the Solent, obviously, but I was up north, so nobody knew what it was, and they accused my team of cheating for having having a ringer. Very very impolite. Having a what? A ringer? A ringer? Well, basically having a southerner on their team, even though I'm not. But you know, what is it not allowed to have anyone? from the south on a pub quiz team in pubs in the north it, it, it was in quite a closed off pub in newcastle so they were a bit weird to anybody who didn't have a geordie accent wow i thought northerners were meant to be friendly it, it was just that pub to be honest with you it was also your face but you know we'll carry on from there <laughs> all right let's get into it now boys don't want to know about any more about pub quiz stuff so first of all we're going to briefly touch on the game against cheltenham Following from that, we're going to more deep dive into the 3-0 emphatic win against Rotherham. And then, thinking about strikers scoring goals, we put a question out to you. Should Pompey sign any of Pompey's existing strikers who are all out of contract or going back to their existing clubs? And finally, apart from some news bits and other news and, you know, all that malarkey, we're going to preview the game on Friday at home to Lincoln City. Right. Andy Mitchmore looks excited for that part as he eats his Muller corner on the corner of my screen. <laughs> Cheltenham, let's get stuck in from that point. Let's be honest, I do not want to touch on this too much because it was a diabolical display which left a lot of fans thinking that the players didn't care and they ended up having been booed off at half at full time by, and I wasn't at the game, so what looked like a fairly large contingent of the Pompey support. Fred, do you have anything positive to say about this game or apart from me just sort of laying into the team as a whole for a lack of effort, a lack of attacking impetus and the fact that really, without being too negative, we just didn't really look like scoring? 
Well, Gavin Bazuna was man of the match by quite a long way. I mean, especially with his double save in the first half, kept Portsmouth in it for a long time. For a long time. Uh, again, it, it, they had similar struggles in front of goal. Uh, there was some nice build-up play in the first half in moments. Aidan O'Brien was clean through, but it wasn't one for that tackle on Willie, Bo- Willie Boyle. Some people thought it was a pen. I'm not sure. Not really sure either way, to be honest with you. But the, but the problem was the performance in the second half just dropped off a cliff. Completely. It, it was as if they were play, playing down to their competition a bit and Cheltenham grew in the game a lot more. Some of their players, Callum Wright, I thought was excellent in terms of tormenting on the wings, cutting inside a fair bit. And he and he put in that lovely cross to Liam Sirkham, who scored ridiculous amount of times against Pompey, I've just realised, which was annoying. And then, yeah, the 1,400 fans felt let down because the, the, the drop-off in the performance in the second half was so poor that it just made you think, well... We know it's the end of the season, but if the players don't seem to be trying or if the performances are poor, then why would we travel to away games and so on? Uh, individual players, again, Bazuna was the best player on the pitch by a country mile. I thought Hayden Carter had a good game. The rest of them were average to fairly poor. I really didn't like Tyler Walker's performance at all, to be honest, in front of goal. So he struggled a lot and... It was, I don't know why Cowley didn't hook him, probably for rotation reasons. Uh, similarly with Williams, I didn't like Williams' performance either, to be brutally honest with you. And yeah, it was all a bit deflating as I was listening to that game on the radio. So after that appalling loss, ignored Twitter, walked around Baffin's Pond to feel better. So that's that's the summary that I can think of. Did it work, walking around Baffin's Pond? Because that's something that many Pompey fans probably could do if Pompey play bad. It did make me feel better, but now you're going to have about a thousand people doing circles around Baffin's Pond and the sun over the summer. <laughs> Which is loads of Portsmouth fans wearing shirts or like repping scarves and just walking around Baffin's Pond. Yeah, I like it. Andy, do you have anything to talk about in, the, in this Cheltenham game rather than just Freddie slaps of a pond in Baffin's? Yeah, other than Freddie being a complete influencer and encouraging physical activity and green spaces. Good on you, Fred. Uh, no, not particularly. It's just everyone's on the beach. If we're being honest, it's just uninspiring. It's pretty much what was predicted, to be honest with you. And the the Danny Cowley reaction kind of threw me back to what game was it earlier in the season when I genuinely thought he was prob- he was about to punch the post-match interviewer in the face. Um, his demeanour followed that sort of um, that sort of example. You could tell he was furious and quite rightly. And again, I didn't travel up, I couldn't travel up to this one, unfortunately, for personal reasons, but it was, I was quite relieved not to have made the trip, to be honest with you. I feel for the Pompey fans that did. Good on you. Fair play. And uh, yeah, they got let down by the players. It's as simple as that. It's, I don't, I don't even know what else we're going to say on this game because I'm, nothing, I'm quite irritable about it. Yeah, Absolutely I think so. nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because no one wants to hear about it and we're going to move on. We've done a little duty. If you don't like and you think we should have repped this one more and given it more... Uh, more detail, let me know, at PO Forecast. Right, let's, let's get into a bit of a transition here because before the game, there was a bit of a talk about an announcement for the Rotherham game. Is there a signing? I think Andy Moon put a picture of a table, what it looked like on the pitch. And lo and behold, the, the club did come out with a signing. Stuart White signed a fir- his first professional contract. Good on you, lad. It's good to see that as well. Was a bit concerned that, you know, potentially that wouldn't get over the line. There's still some talk about terms. I don't know them. Maybe Fred knows them. Have you got the terms with you, Fred? No, nope. shaking his head. I've not seen him either. 
but yeah, it's good. We need to retain our academy players who are making an impact as in, you know, being around the first team squad. They are essential to sign. Again, not going to cost an arm and a leg to sign them. So it, it definitely was a good thing. So good for you, Harry. Then, then obviously, that pos- wave of positivity bubbling through the squad and probably come up against Rotherham. Good team, obviously, but at the same time, not being in the best form. They've now got three wins, four losses and a draw in the last eight after going losing 2-1 to MK, with a 10-men MK even. So they're on a pretty bad fail of a bit of form, but shouldn't take that away from us at all. I looked at some of the stats after the game. Rotherham only had one shot on target, apparently, um, due to Sofa score. No big chances they should have scored, apart from the hit that would work once. I thought, Freddie, our crossing rate at 35%, which I picked up, was particularly good a 35% success rate Porter's crossing can be quite dreadful and I don't know if you know how that measures against the average so I thought I'd fire that over to you now uh, it's slightly above average 35% uh, their average according to Rye Scout is 33.5 which is roughly level I think it's slightly above average the entire league I think um, but with crossing accuracy comparing teams to the entire league there's minimal difference between them all usually if you have if a third, a third of your crosses are on target. You're usually doing really well. So yeah, I thought Pompey's crossing was good. I think it helps that the four four two they played. It was a change in formation. It was it was quite fluid. Um, it was it was sort of easy to see that Morel and Thompson did the nitty gritty stuff in the centre of midfield, and then they tried to try to spring Curtis Jacobs Harness, who were all moving moving around the forward line with Hurst, usually usually hanging on the last defender, but sometimes he dropped deep. So I'm not, defi- I'm not surprised that the crossing was a bit better. And yeah, right, yeah, Rotherham's poor form. Um, they looked fairly dangerous in the first half. I thought Giordosi old Bene for them on the right wing, uh, right wing back was class. He skinned Ogilvy. He, he had he made it was a torrid time for Ogilvy a lot in that game, especially when Ogbeni was receiving passes from Ayekwe, Michael Ayekwe, their better centre half on the right hand side. And Dan Barlaza, who was in a sitting playmaker role behind the centre midfielders, that caused a lot of issues. But yeah, they just didn't. They looked like scoring, and lots of Ogbeni's crosses looked good. But there are no clear-cut chances really, and that's what the travelling supporters wouldn't have liked that game. So let's crack on with the you know the sort of the micro elements of the game rather than the over macro analysis at the start. I thought the free kick from Jacobs, got to say, Pompey's delivery into the box from dead ball play has not been good. But this ball from Crackers was absolutely cracking. He bangs it into the box. Clark Robertson gets on the end of it. Solid header. But it was just the way that it bent in perfectly for him, which meant it was quite an easy finish for a centre-back to put it in net. Yeah, it was a decent ball in from Jacobs. Again, Pompey seemed to be perfecting the having a player hanging around potentially offside and then not interfering in play. That's two games in a, or two games out of three that's benefited us now. This time, I think Raggett might have been offside at the far post, but obviously not interfering with play. Again, good on the linesman for not getting drawn in and giving an offside where he potentially could have done so incorrectly. I think it was Harness looked across just to double-check that it wasn't given when the ball went in. And uh, yeah, always nice to see the centre-backs contributing. Obviously, our front line has been hit and miss at times this season, and... It's generally been Sean Raggett contributing when one of the back three centre-backs has contributed, uh, especially with the head. So, yeah, nice to see Robertson get on the board for Pompey. I think it's deserved because I think he's been fairly solid this season, but obviously battled with injury earlier in the year. Nice to see him get on the score sheet, for sure. And just thinking about how Pompey played, and Freddie touched on the formation there, 
having Jacobs on the left, Harness on the right, you know, admittedly still in a fluid form- formation, having a look at the action areas and heat maps on the game, Pompey have been in other games very sort of lopsided to go down the right quite a lot, which makes us quite sort of easy to sort of predict, etc. like that. Whilst in this game, it was quite a mixture of left, right and centre, which actually I quite like. It looked quite balanced in this formation and the way they were playing, which obviously meant we could counter-attack across both sides as well. And then you look at the, the goal for Marcus Harness, as he does really well on the right-hand side. He drives forward into space and he puts a perfect ball into the box for Magic Man Marcus Harness to tap home. Watching the game... How did you feel about that goal and what made that successful goal for Pompey? Yeah, I genuinely think that was one of my favourite Pompey goals in recent memory, honestly, just because it is, it kind of epitomises the, what the Cowleys seem to be wanting in Pompey's approach to attacking prowess in terms of you turn defence into attack quickly, ball is in Gavin Bazunu's hands and then I haven't timed the number of seconds it took to get to the other end of the the pitch into the net but it's literally one throw out one ball out wide George Hurst we know he's extremely pacey when he actually gets a bit of space to run into he's shown it a few times and I think it's a trait that he maybe doesn't get enough credit for or enough plaudits for when it's something that we've noticed at Fratton quite a lot that hasn't always ended in a goal scoring opportunity but in terms of the clinical nature of it it was just so incisive and very, very difficult to defend against. I I don't really know what else Rotherham could have done to defend against that. I mean, you could argue that maybe the tracking in the middle wasn't fantastic and potentially their left-sided player shouldn't let himself get beat into it by Hurst there. But I think you've just got to give credit to George Hurst for that. And then his composure to put a decent ball in. We talk about the, the quality of delivery a lot because it's not really been there this season, both from open play and from dead ball. And it's a very, very simple tap-in. It's just, just a really aesthetically pleasing goal, which uh, you don't always get in League One. So I'm clinging on to that. Yeah, watching it live, it was brilliant build-up play. It was the touch from Hurst that took it away from Barlaza that I thought was the best bit of that goal. Bazudu, excellent throw to him all the way onto the halfway line. But Hurst's touch just takes it away from Barlaza. Heavier, but from where I was stood in the north sand, I don't think, I think the left back, Hurst just beat him for pace effectively. Skids the left back, has that open space and then, and then that fluid formation allowing Harness to drift into the middle and be in the right place for the tap-in. Excellent goal. One of my favourite goals of Fratton Park this season. Danny Cowley said it was one of his favourites as well. So we were 2-0 up and then cruising from that point on. Very happy with it. And people talk about, you know, potential goal scorers and people that people might not think outside Pompey as a player to score a goal. And if you've got a few quid and you want to put it on someone with decent odds, Hayden Carter's got to be one of those people at the moment, hasn't he? Ball comes into the box. It clears out. You just hear Fratton shout, shoot! And the man delivers, doesn't he? He cracks it. And the goalkeeper manages to get a really strong hand on that to push it over the bar. But Fred, watching that, that shot live, did you think it was going in? Uh, it, it was a very good effort. It looked top corner to me, but Johansson tracked it very well, made a very good save. But yeah, it was, it was just because Carter had that space in front of them and he's proven that before, that when he's, when opposition defenders drop off a lot and he sets himself really well, he's got an excellent shot on him. And, and why not? He's already sco- scored one screen for this season. And what else could he have done from that spot? Not a lot, maybe a lotted ball into the back post, but then the keeper would have claimed it. 
he had every right to shoot from there and it was an excellent effort, I thought. Would the keeper have claimed a lofted ball to the back post? He didn't look the best under high balls and then the third goal is a good example of that where... Yeah, yeah, good point. He didn't actually claim... He, did, he didn't claim a lofted ball to the back post of the third goal, did he? Exactly, yeah. And <laughs> the build-up to that shot from Carter was the keeper flapping and basically missing a ball in from the left as well. So I think, yeah, maybe he wouldn't have done so well with the high ball in. But uh, yeah, fair play, Fred. Theory was solid, but in this in this instance... Lack, a lack of not. context, though. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> win some, lose some. Okay, going on to the third goal quickly... The ball comes back out, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was Joe Morrell puts the ball into the box. Sean Racker, it doesn't matter if the guy's got hands in goal. He still leaps up, manages to get the ball back across to George Hurst. They said a tap-in on the Rotherham Twitter page. That's not a tap-in, is it? That's an emphatic finish. That's what I'm going to say about that. Emphatic finish from George, who gets his foot, wraps it round it, back into the sort of right-hand side of the goal from where he's shooting. George Hurst had a really good, go- really good game in this. Andy, yeah, I mean, I tapping is so harsh. I firmly believe if the keeper's on his line, he doesn't save that. I don't think the goalkeeper saves it, even if he's in the goal. So, yeah, tapping is very, very harsh. It, really it's good a lovely composer. bit of technique as well. Yeah, really good composer, really good technique. That, uh, yeah, you don't necessarily expect to see in League One, and it was his finishing that was the problem when he first signed, wasn't it? Let's be honest, he was getting in good positions and not finishing them. And that's kind of the reputation he came to Pompey with. So that composure and not snapping at efforts when he knows, you know, previously there's been pressure on him to score because he's had that reputation at previous clubs for not being able to do so. If he's calm and composed in front of goal when he knows the keeper's out of position and he really should be finishing it and he still finishes it that, you know, decisively, that's really promising for me. Yeah, and we were saying he's got all the tools, as Andy was saying there you know, to be a great striker in that sense. And, you know, he had four shots out of the 11 for Pompey. He was credited for, he gets an assist, he gets a goal. That's a kind of all-round sort of striker that we'll come to talk about whether we should retain strikers later on. But that's the kind of performance you really want and what Danny Cowley would want out of any of his centre-forwards, isn't it, Freddie? Absolutely, yeah. We said before that in in theory, going back to in theory again, Hurst has the tools to be the complete forward that Danny Cowley likes. The ball sticks to him very well. He's got very, he's got fairly decent technique and close control. He can battle for aerial duels. Different to most target men, he's got a burst of pace, which is which creates several chances, like it did in this game. And he can, he can handle a one-on-one fairly well as well, like we've seen with some of his past goals. It's just at the moment, so considering he's a young player and this is probably his first, like full settled season. He's been inconsistent at times. He goes on very good streaks and then stops, like many of other Pompey's attackers. But yeah, I, th- I think all the tools are there. All the tools are there, definitely. And at the moment, without doing any research for the summer, I'm trying to think of another striker of that mould who would replace him. And if they're there, they probably cost more than he does in terms of wages. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, do you have anything else to say on the Rotherham game to sum it up? Maybe some sort of little cute summary? Cute summary. I don't know if cute is my MO, to be honest with you, bud. I find it frustrating, the lack of consistency, if I'm honest. But that is League One in a nutshell. And we've said before, and we'll say again, if the players could do it week in, week out, they probably wouldn't be League One players. So I find it enormously frustrating that you don't know what you're going to get 
quite to that extreme. There isn't sort of a consistent baseline level of performance. There are huge swings. But Rotherham game in isolation, it's a good result against a decent team, to be honest with you, over the course of the season, who were obviously out of form. And uh, yeah, I mean, the the line coming out of the club, I imagine, will be, yeah, we want to get some momentum to carry into next season. So you can't argue with a 3-0 win in that respect, right? Well, on this game, speaking of frustrating and not knowing what you're going to get, we've got to have the best segment on the show, which we haven't done in a while. Guess the XG. We've got to play Guess the XG, and Andy looks very excited, as he always does. So he should do as well. He's he's pretty much smashed the last three. So he's improving he, all the time. It's like George Hurst, but with football <laughs> analytics. He is. He started out, couldn't guess even a shot on target, couldn't get anything, didn't even know what XG was. And now look at him. He's, he's guessing it to the decimal point. Andy, I'm, I'm ne- expecting big things here from you. I'm not nibbling, boys. I'm not nibbling here. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, got back to you, mate. All right. So this week, uh, I'm using WiseGuard data for this. Can you give me the XG of George Hurst's volley to make it 3-0, which Rotherham described as a tap-in, but it obviously wasn't? I'll go 0.3. Why not? Let's just throw it out there now. I'll take lower than that, for sure. I think even with the keeper out of position, the fact it's a volley on the turn with an outfield player between him and the the goal line, I'll go 0.18, Fred, I think. Andy Mitchellmore, my God, he's get, he's getting excellent at this. Honestly, the, uh, George Hurst's XG for that goal was 0.17. Andy was so close to getting it spot Honestly, on. Honestly, <laughs> I wish I was this good at things I actually liked and thought were worthwhile. The wise guy yeah. count away, Andy. He just added a decimal point off to make himself look believable. Yeah, make it believable, yeah. It's what I was doing in the pub quiz, Google under the table. Honestly, massive cheat. No, Alexa um, to your headphones whilst doing stuff. <laughs> I genuinely, genuinely wish I was this successful at things that I didn't think were a massive waste of my time. But thanks for hosting, Fred. I really appreciate the, the research you put in to this flawed metric every week. <laughs> I, do, I, I do put in research for other bits of the pods as well, not just looking at the guess the XG, just to, just to make Andy frustrated every yeah. single week. One of us has to. Well, well done, Andy Mitchmore. And just moving from this... With no intention of the idea of replacing Guess the XG, which was stated, Pompey X and O's messaged in and said, Idea for Mr. Webb's audiobook for the feature game. Narrated paragraph or sentences from a former Pompey player's autobiography or published interview. Identity can be guessed by hosts and listeners ahead of the reveal. Now, no intention of the idea of replacing Guess the XG because he's a massive fan of that, Freddie. So, just putting it out there it's not an either or this is an as well Andy Mitchell what are your thoughts that is a far superior game I'm a massive fan of that that's a a non-flawed fictitious metric that doesn't like I guess I base my guesses and guess the XG off previous results that I think are completely inaccurate I think it's a completely rubbish flawed measure but um sorry Fred I know you're very defensive against the XG and a boy scout but I think this is a far better idea Potentially, if we get some pretty spicy quotes in there as well, it could be like one of those um, 
those quotes, you know, those websites where there are quizzes like, oh, was this a quote from Boris Johnson or Saddam Hussein? That kind of thing. We could do it like, oh, was this from Gary O'Neill or Donald Trump? Sorry, Gary. Uh, that's a really bad example. Don't know why that came to mind. Gary O'Neill is famously not a massive twat, unlike Donald Trump. But, um, a friend of the show, Gary O'Neill. Yeah, friend of the show, Gary O'Neill. Yeah, Been on the podcast the as well. Yeah, <laughs> not throwing him under the bus there. He's never uh, coming okay, back let's... on now. He just compared him to Donald Trump. That's just nah. you just sliced off a Pompey legend from the list of people we can we can message to come on and help us yeah, out. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, to be fair, I did say he was a lot less. Well, he, I said he was not batshit crazy. A lot Donald less Trump. is yeah. Okay, stop. Yeah, digging. it's a relative term, right? That you put your spade away, Andy. Sorry, Freddie. Have you put your spade away? I'm going to keep digging. Don't you worry. But I think that could work if we have sort of a. Uh, we could, yeah, that could work. Off-season quiz as well. We could do sort of an end-of-season quiz that incorporates that as a round for sure. Uh, I'll keep that in mind and have a look at some interviews every week, and I'll scurry some away, and you guys can guess which player it is. I don't know how. I don't know what's the difference going to be. How, would it just be? It would just be me reading it. So yeah, but Fred, your voice. We've had this conversation, and as has been mentioned there, your voice is just. I love it. It's very sexy. So I think this could be quite a. A good thing moving forward. At absolute best, you host an amazing game show. At worst, we all get to enjoy your voice in sort of paragraph form. I mean, from the from the old days with sort of some of the dodgy owners we had, there must be some hella crazy quotes from like Chan Rai and Antonov and all that lot that you could pull in there. Oh, you want you want to go all the way back and find some like horrendous ones, or just I mean, maybe 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 skew away from the racist, sexist, homophobic stuff that's out there, Fred. We don't really want to get like demonetized. Not that we're monetized, but you know what I mean. Uh, let's let's try and keep it not Cancelled, as offen- basically. Cancelled. Yeah, we want to keep it not as offensive as the middle of the fraten end during match days at the moment, basically, Fred. Uh, let's not go down the sexist route. Uh, but yeah, if you can get a little bit a little bit edgy and unexpected and unpredictable and we've got to try and guess the player or guess the owner you could give us the season it's the player was from or whatever that could work i'm a big yeah, fan yeah, that's so I'll, much better I'll, than I'll guess the xg mind. why well, are we well, wasting well enough time enough people love with guess the xg I, I hear about it every week and yeah, it makes and, me uh, happy just to jump in there as well pompey pompey x knows thank you for messaging that suggestion appreciated but he did specify very clearly it's not to replace guess the xg which he's obviously a fan of all right let's move on we spoke to you guys and we said should Pompey bring back any of the current strikers at the club? Once again, thanks to everyone who messages in. It does really make the show. Rather than just us three babbling on, we want to hear from you guys. And we want to hear what you guys think. So, Pompey and Canberra messaged in. He said, I definitely like to keep a Brian. I think he only get better with more games under his belt at Pompey. Hurst would be a good signing too, but it'd probably have to be another loan. Ideally, you want two or three permanent strikers and a couple of loans for your attack. You do want a couple in, preferably on a permanent. Do you think guys think it makes much difference having a lone striker again, which doesn't happen as often as you might think, but having another a lone striker who's already been at the club for a season, therefore he's not a new blood lone striker coming in? I think it's a good idea because it gets past, obviously, the major block from which many lone players have, which is like the bedding in period where they're getting used to their teammates, the pitch, the location, etc., because sometimes a lone player can just think, oh, I'm only here for a short amount of time. I'm not necessarily building anything. I'm just improving my performances. But with Hurst, it's, it, it, it'll be a little bit different if he comes back on loan because Leicester City are a Premier League side and Hurst is, Hurst's current ability isn't there yet. So why wouldn't he think, oh, if I have another season at Pompey where I'm obviously 
looking as if I'm going to be the lead striker. I'm going to play every week again. My performance has improved a lot. They're nowhere near like they were against Rotherham. I mean, I'm even uh, triggering their fans on Twitter. Then why, then why wouldn't he if that option was on the table? And like we mentioned earlier, he's got the tools for this, for the, for the formation Cali wants to play and the style of football as well. I think trying to extend him on extend his loan is a very good idea because he's contracted at Leicester for a few years. I'll double check when it expires or if I can try and find it. So, he, so he's not going to be a permanent. And even though he's obviously a youth player at Leicester, his wages will be very high, his full wages anyway, because it's Premier League level. So, yeah, I, th- I think extending his loan solves a lot of potential issues that Pompey may have. It's just whether he can put these streaks of form together into a more consistent level throughout the whole season. Think of the wages that are going to be freed up when Tyler Walker leaves Freddie. They can all go straight into George Hurst. Oh, God, yeah, play. yeah. In research for this show, I, I, read the, I, read, I read the match reports after every game in the news. One of them, one tidbit, which I read... <laughs> Tyler Walker, apparently his wages are equivalent of uh, two spots. So effectively, when he was brought in on loan from Coventry, his wages are equivalent to two signings worth. And yeah, those performances nowhere near justify it. It was a gamble that really didn't pay off in, in the window. Cowley's Cowles message in and says, Difficult. Would take Hurst and O'Brien. Walker has good technical ability, but it's just not worked. Always value in the summer... Is there better value options out there? Is there someone on an upward curve, but not as ready, but made use of less of the budget? Or can we not wait for them to develop? Well, we, in the summer, we're going to go off and do more research, as we always do, for our, for our transfer for our transfer episodes. We'll get a couple of guests on as well who have a bit more of a, a know of the whole of the Football League as we sit around doing our, our scouting, talking to people, etc. So... We'll have a bit more of an idea then on who's out there in the market once we get to the close season. But as Freddie touched on earlier on, it's quite difficult in League One to find a player with the tool set that George Hurst has. Now he's added finishing Ali Mitchmore to his, a string to his bow. Yeah, it's difficult, as you say. I, Blake, who I've been on Express with before, uh, Blake PFC on Twitter, put out a a team, a couple of teams, a League One team and a League Two team of players who are out of contract this summer. And in attacking positions, ones that jumped out at me, you got Caden Jackson, Freddie Ladapo, obviously we've seen a lot of him over the last few years. And then League Two, Harry McCurdy at Swindon and Dom Telford at Newport. Those are the four that jumped out. Uh, if we're looking at, you know, League One or League Two, and um, you know, potentially rather than going down that whole non-league approach, because I think you do have to have some experience leading the line, which is essentially what George Hurst has been doing since John Marquis left. Anyway, he's kind of actually is leading that forward line. Those are the ones that jumped out at me, but I've, we name the players that we want us to sign every single year. It's unlikely that we're going to get the ones that we're calling for. But um, yeah, does that answer the question? Can't really remember what the question was, if I'm honest. But yeah, Blake's done quite a lot of legwork there, to be fair. So uh Thanks to him, so I can just jump on it and steal his info. Well, not steal, cite his info. No, you're not stealing it, Andy. If it's true, it's true. Yeah, I'm not claiming it as my own. He's done all the legwork. I've just read it <laughs> off his Twitter. Uh, he does no. some good work. Good, good, uh, good uh, vlog as well on YouTube. Worth a look. Blake F, uh, Blake PFC on Twitter. There you go. He's had a plug now, so that makes it okay that I've used his information. It does indeed. T- <laughs> Tim Footmash is in. He says, in a perfect world, Hurst would continue his development at the club. 
If we can't sign him permanently, then a further year on a loan would still be a good move for us, him and Leicester. Aidan O'Brien has faded after a blistering start, but enough to extend. Walker has shown nothing so far. I can't see Hurst taking a massive pay cut to sign a permanent deal. It just doesn't make any sense. It just it doesn't make any sense for him as a player. And I don't think, you know, we would ask him to do that. It'll be the kind of thing that you might actually, well, we might do. It might be, it's, it's the kind of, yeah, probably <laughs> really, <will> actually. <laughs> really? You don't think we would ask a current Pompey player to stick around for a pay cut? There's no track record of that from last or this season, is there? No. Yeah, sorry, Sean. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, okay. I, I accept that. It was probably one of the biggest bonehead comments. But just looking really at what he was saying, I think that Hurst is more likely to take him on loan. And I believe, Freddie, I don't know if you looked up the contract situation, but he has one further year from this. Is that correct? Yeah, I just double-checked on transfer marked, which is usually the place I look for for contracts expiry dates. And Hurst has one more year. So for him as a player, why would he move permanently unless it's like a championship club, which I don't think a championship club will come in and try and sign Hurst. I think if Pompey come in on loan again on the similar money, for Leicester, it's kind of a no-brainer to take that, I think. And for Hurst, it is as well. Similar environment. He'd be playing every week. And then next, then not the summer, the summer after that, he'll look at his options and go, where am I going? It, it works for both parties, doesn't it? I think next year, and Pompey don't really like sorting out contracts early, but next year, if you do manage to sign him back on loan, then those discussions is going well. And then you start thinking about that contract leading up to the January transfer window of a player who can have those discussions. And then you can maybe even agree a pre-contract deal for the year after. It obviously depends where Pompey are in the league. It depends on what money they're going to free up. But yeah, in an ideal world, I agree with Tim. Nigel Lawrence messaged in and he says... I think wages are likely to mean if rather than should. I would definitely have Hurst back. Massively improved second half of the season. Whether he is clinical enough to get enough goals next season, who knows? What I'd quite like to see, Andy, is another striker to come in who can potentially share some of the load. If if you did bring back Hurst and you did bring back a Brian or sign a Brian as well and a Perm, we need another striker with say Tyler Walker isn't going to come back we need someone else don't we who can also chip in and get some goals so it's not all pressure on them yeah that's exactly it the traditional model at Pompey since I guess that Brett Pittman season where he bagged an insane amount I can't remember the number it was 20 something in the season right it was a well not an insane amount but a very very good amount since then it's been very much a case of goals being pretty equally shared around the team partially because of the system utilizing wide attacking players so much but and using, you know, a target man up top, particularly under Kenny Jacket. Whereas, yeah, in this system, ideally you want two or three players who are really going to score the majority of your goals who are clinical. And then other players like your centre-backs, case in point, Clark Robertson scoring uh, a couple of nights ago, can chip in where needed. And we tried a number of players up top, you know, with varying levels of success with, you know, players like John Marquis earlier in the season. And, even, you know, Ronan Curtis hasn't been as successful playing up top as I thought he would be. I'm looking at the statistics from, you know, a month or so ago in terms of uh, goals created, etc., and goals scored compared to the chances. He was one of the worst in the league when playing up front. So it hasn't quite worked out. So yeah, ideally you want to bring someone in who is going to take some of the pressure off George Hurst because he is a really young player. And I've talked already about him leading the line. 
that's a lot of pressure on a young guy who's only just really started finding his confidence and goal scoring, you know, prowess at this level. So yeah, it'd be nice to bring someone in, but I mean, I've said a couple of names already, but it's going to be an interesting summer. I think I said it was either last week or when it was just myself and Fred the week before that as far as I'm concerned, this transfer window will tell us a hell of a lot and sort of about the intentions and about the ambitions of the club. And uh, yeah, if we're able to bring in someone at least with a track record of succeeding at this level, like one of the names I've already mentioned or you know, a similar player who is now contract, whether or not that player works out, at least it demonstrates intent, which is kind of what I think a lot of us need to see right now. And yeah, my fear is that the owners have been put off that a little bit because Marquis was such an intense signing. And everyone went, oh, this is a bit of a, you know, the number of times I saw that, oh, it's a marquee signing. <laughs> like, hilarious pun. Fucking hell. Um, but anyway, um, the number of times I saw that. But at least it showed intent. And maybe, you know, you could argue it didn't work out brilliantly and unfortunately ended as a bit of a damp squib. But you can't argue with it showed a bit of desire and sort of thrust on the owner's part. And we haven't massively had that since. It's been a little bit bit part. Some have worked out, some haven't. Honestly, from the sounds we've heard about, you know, going down the young player route, it doesn't necessarily sound like this is what we're going to get. It is. It's an ongoing balancing act between throwing money at players and, you know, going down the whole, wow, this isn't as sustainable as it could be route versus the whole bringing in a load of young players being extremely sustainable but not getting results. And again, we spoke last week about young squads. It's a very high risk. You either get a lot of success or you end up having a season like Crew or like Doncaster or like uh, Wimbledon this season. So, yeah, it's a. I want to see some sort of at least mild statement of intent with one, you know, one signing this year and that position to take a bit of pressure off Hurst. I agree. I do agree. Uh, one thing though, Brett Pittman got 25 goals in all comps in his leading season. And in the, people were going about how brilliant that was because, oh, we got a striker who scored 25. That's what, uh, that's what, that team scored 57 goals. And that is the amount of goals for that Ports have run now. And I keep on hearing that this team is very good going forward. So that's a bit... Sometimes having one, one person bagging all the goals, it's like a psychological thing where they think, oh, it's brilliant because one person's marquee up there. But if the whole side's scoring more goals, then it's... It's a bit different, isn't it? Alfie John messaged in. He says, George Hurst and Ada Bryan need new deals. They've both been seriously good players since their latter arrival at the club. Agree, Alfie. And it seems like everyone else agrees with you too. So, cheers messaging in. Alex Cush messaged in. He says, we'll try and get Hurst on another year line to reduce wages and see how he performs. Keep Aidan O'Brien. Boys, we're going to try and sign Aidan O'Brien. I know... The club said there's talks out there, but I believe there's not really been much going on on that front. So do you think we're actually going to be able to sign O'Brien? Or do you think it's just going to be a case of it depends how much money we can put on the table and other clubs may outbid us? A bit of both. Who's going to out, which club's going to outbid Pompey for Aiden O'Brien? Really? Dangerous question to ask, Fred. Gillingham. Yeah, we could probably name him. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but... It might, it might be a psychological thing for O'Brien to just go with the club that helped him get out of the mire that was Sunderland. He's done a few interviews now where he's where he said about how awful his time was at Sunderland, the fact that the manager wouldn't tell him why he wasn't in the team, that he felt a bit isolated. 
since his time at Pompey, it's been a complete 180. So the club has that as a plus point, but they also do obviously have to put a decent wage packet in front of him, obviously. But I don't think it should... If, if it is an issue to get Aidan O'Brien on a two-year deal, then there are more concerns to, to, to think about. I, I'm not worried about that signing if Portsmouth want to make it, to be honest. I'm worried about other players coming in to replace the players that may or may not leave in the summer. Mr L meshes in and says, if we can get Hurst in the right deal, he's worth pursuing. Has improved massively, so fair play to him. But I would not have him as our number one striker. I don't see him getting the goals we need to go up. Just my opinion. Do you think if George plays at the same trajectory he did, in theory, he's, you know, he's been improving. We've all seen that in front of our eyes from the man who, you know, couldn't put his chances away. Do we expect him to go on next season and potentially push for, you know, 15 goals or, or 20 goals? And is that what you need as a, a top striker in League One? I genuinely think he's got the potential to do it. We keep forgetting how young he is. I'd be interested to do this, but I haven't had time to look at his goals record since he actually scored his first league goal in terms of goals per game. I think that when he first joined, there was a big... Thought he was carrying this... Uh, sort of, what's the saying? He was carrying around a chip on his shoulder almost of not having that goal-scoring record that previous clubs... And football is so much a confidence game. And since he scored his first couple of goals for the club, I think his record would be pretty decent compared to a lot of other strikers in League One. And assuming he could take that confidence into next season, I genuinely think, yeah, 15 goals a season, I don't think is unrealistic at all. Bearing in mind he scored four in four days a few weeks ago and has scored this week already. That's, you know, a third of that tally just in in very, very recent memory. So I don't I don't see any reason he couldn't be 15 a season, to be honest with you. And if you've got one other player, one other striker in a similar mould, you know, that's what you want leading the line. If you can play two up top and they're both doing that, then you're in a pretty good starting point with other players contributing. Mm. His goals per game overall for the season is 0.38, according to Wisco. I haven't had a chance to look at the like comparisons against other strikers in the league, but that's where his rate is. But since his goal, obviously he went on that run where he was mainly sub and then coming in in trophy games. Since his goal at Palace under 21s on in November. Then he obviously went to get, uh, get that goal against Lincoln in the 3 0 win. Then there was a bit of a gap of four games. Then he scored again in the Pizza Trophy against Exeter City. Then two games later against MK Dons in the 2 1 loss. Then there's another gap, but I think it's near the end of the season. The big stretch where he got his goals was from the 4 0 win against Doncaster Rovers at home at Fratton Park in December. No, not December. In February, excuse me. Then a few games off. Then he scored, obviously, in the 3-2 win against Oxford. Then the two against Accrington and the two against Crewe. So that was the stretch where he sort of got his competitive nature about him. And I don't think 15 goals in a full season is unrealistic. 20 a push. But I think 15 with, with other striker help is realistic, I think. Andy Thompson messages in and says there's a lot to like about Hurst. In spurts, he's shown you how dangerous effective he can be at this level. Now, it's about finding that consistency to warrant the price tag that will likely be slapped on him. 
ideally, another season-long loan with the option to buy would be my preference, my preferred setup. Do you guys think loan to buy is something we could potentially get him? Building build in the the buyer at the end of the season, uh, you know, a price tag before potentially he goes on and scores more goals next season if we rate him. Can you even do an option to buy if his if next season it's a season long load, his contract expires at the end of it. You might be able to do an option to buy in January, but I don't see why that still would put that in, really. No, I, I've got a feeling it would be more of a case of run down the expensive wage wage contract and sign him at the end of the season with maybe agree that between the player, in, you know, after January when they can talk to people officially and and go from there. It's almost like you've got that that time where he can talk to the clubs, but he's with you, and you sort of try and use that and the success he's had to try and to try and leverage to sign. And he moves on and says, curious to know what each of your valuations of Bazunu are. Saw the Serie A, uh, uh, Bundesliga and uh, Premier League rumours yesterday. What do you think City would be looking in terms of a number slash deal? I mean, uh, Andy, I, I hope you're not trying to imply that we could potentially dip into that market and it's just a curiosity, curiosity question. I think Pep Guardiola wants to keep hold of him, but loan him out. Does, I don't think he wants to sell him, does he? Is that what the story's saying, that he wants to sell him off? I think it's just loan him out to one of those higher league teams and get some experience. Let's say hypothetically that Roma were involved. Hugh, would you rather wake up on a Monday morning, look out your window and see the Colosseum or the Spinnaker Tower? That is my question for you. What would be your preference? The Spinnaker Tower, obviously. I mean, the Colosseum exactly. full, of, full of tourists, you know, really jarring. Not a big fan, overrated city in Italy. Exactly. Think how many people have been to the Colosseum over the last 2,000 years and think how many people have been up the Spinnaker Tower. I know which one is more of a sort of a special, unique club. So yeah, exactly. basically, we're going to sign him on a on a permanent deal. That's what I'm saying. You know, for, do you want to be between between 25 and 40 million? I think that's a that's a fair fair deal. So, you know, more than the club was bought for. Isn't that bloody awful that like someone playing in goal for us is worth more than the club <laughs> was paid for? <laughs> Isn't that demoralising? I think Gilfie Sigurdsson's transfer fee was more than what the club was bought for, and look how that turned out. How many Portsmouths can you get for a Harry Maguire? That's the question. England's number one centre-back. Want to hear anything else against it? <laughs> I'd take Ashley Williams any day of the week. <laughs> oh, put that fishing rod away. Dean Preston messages in and he says, I think you take back O'Brien as a given. Hurst is a tough one. When he's good, like last night, it's a no-brainer. But for every game like Rotherham, there's a shock around the corner. I think Hurst comes down to wage expectation and how much we'll have to pay. No to Walker. I might as well put the question out here, boys. Walker? Does anyone, does anyone want Walker? But yeah, to show of hands or something here? He hasn't earned it, unfortunately. And on the last point, I don't think I've mentioned this already, Danny Cowley does want to extend and sign Hurst. He wants that option on the table. So there could be some wriggle room, but I, still, I just think a permanent is out of Pompey's transfer acumen, really. I think I just think a loan deal to, for another season is probably where they're going to go, aren't they? Strikers generally in League One are a little bit streaky as well, aren't they? If you can get the tally and contribute in other ways as well. But do you, do you think his performances drop off from game to game as such and compared to other strikers in this league, Andy? Not compared to other strikers in this league. No, of course they drop off from game to, the, uh, from game, to game. Everyone in our side, other than potentially Gavin Bazunus and this season probably I'd say Sean Raggett's as well, Everyone else in the side has had complete dud games. I think it's just more obvious when you're in the team as a goal scorer because there's a really, really obvious metric of how much your game has dropped off. Whereas if we were looking at, you know, a player in midfield, 
it's less likely that people see the percentage of successful short passes or forward short passes or expected goals assisted, etc. No one really looks at those metrics. It's so much more obvious with a striker. So you know, compared to other strikers in the league, I don't think he's had a, a worse ratio of, of poor to great games. I think his poor games have been more obvious because kind of in a convoluted kind of way, when he has poor games, it's tended to be his finishing that's been the issue. He's not just disappeared in games like other players or other strikers in the past have. He still actually gets in the positions, but in the poor games, he doesn't score them. So it's really plainly obvious that he's having a bad game. And almost, you know, a bit a bit perversely, if he had a poor game and didn't actually get in those positions because he was having such a poor game, we'd just go, ah, oh, George Hurst disappeared a little bit in that game. Whereas when he has a poor match, gets into the position and, you know, misses a couple of chances from eight yards... It's very, very easy. You know, you're putting your head above the parapet and going to get pelters. So I think in a yeah, in a bit of a perverse way, it's um, it's the way his poor games are mostly based around his finishing that kind of makes him glutton for punishment in a in a weird way. And also with centre midfielders, they can have good passing stats, but still be anonymous the entire game. You know, it is, it, they can have good passing stats and have poor games. Whereas with a striker... A lot of people look at lack of goals and go, oh, he's dreadful. He hasn't scored in seven, but he could have been having really good performances. So there's, yeah, as, as Andy said, it's easier to look at strikers not scoring goals and think they've just been awful the entire time. Bradley Hyde mentions in and says, it depends who's available on the market. We've taken risks on strikers in the past that haven't paid off. We know what Hurst brings to the table. I wouldn't be disappointed if we signed Hurst. He's massively improved and it's he's a good all-round League One striker. I would also like to extend a Brian. He deserves at least another year. He brings passion and has earned a deal. If we want to aim for promotion, though, he would be a good rotation player or impact substitute. We shouldn't be looking at the level of player to start week in, week out. They are both players where you know what you're getting and will play for the badge. I would renew Harness's contract and sell Curtis for around 750k. Use the salaries to rebuild for next year. On their days, they're good. But those days are few and far between. We'd much rather have a good League One player that is seven every week than nine and, nine and ten of every other games. Also, if we play with no wingers with five at the back, it feels like Cowley is trying to shoehorn them into the team. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to start off with saying, do you think those players, do you think, do you think the likes of Curtis fit in this formation? There's a lot of talk about, does Jacobs fit in the way we play? But... Is there a, does Curtis fit into the way we play, Freddie Webb? Uh, I definitely think Jacobs does because he's played in the attacking midfield role in the in the back three formation, and he's worked well there because of that creative freedom he has. And he played on the right wing today and did fairly well. Curtis, I don't. He's had a big stretch of poor games, and that's clouding my mind on him a bit. It would obviously be better for him if he was in that four two three one on the left wing where he can cut inside a fair bit and attack into space. But in both of those formations, he's not that. When he's played up front, he's looked out of place. And I think he also didn't have a brilliant game against Rotherham either, which would have frustrated him. I'm not sure where... I, I, I'm at the point where I'm happy, no matter which way Cowley goes with Curtis, if he wants to sell him in the summer... Fine, he's been a great service. Lo- lo- passionately Pompey loves the loves the badge. You'd lose a lot in the dressing room, I think. But if you want to sell him, fine. But if you do keep him, I wouldn't be against that either. 
Marcus Harness, on the other hand, Andy, do you have the same feeling with Harness as you do for Curtis? Yeah, I think the they're players who are better suited to a 4-2-3-1 for me. And you can see they were they're players that suit the Kenny Jacket system, I would say, more than the Danny Cowley system. Having said that, Harness is a player who has moments of absolute quality in him, kind of similarly to how Curtis does, to be fair. But I feel like Harnesses have been more frequent this season. If we're looking at purely performance bases, and as Fred said, Curtis has been and continues to be like an awesome servant to the club and gives 100%, which is at the end of the day what we want to see. He gives 100% even when it doesn't quite work out in an individual game. But uh, yeah, again, Harness better suited to a 4-2-3-1. Completely agree with Freddie saying that about Curtis as well. But I mean, if, if Harness left or Curtis left, you've got to have someone to come in and replace them. And if you don't replace them, there's going to be a very large Curtis-sized hole or a very large Harness-sized hole in the squad. So it entirely depends on what the uh, what the ambition is like on the transfer market. I'm I'm similar to Fred in that I hugely appreciate what both players have brought and do bring to the squad. But similarly to a number of players in the squad, they're not, you know, I don't want to sound too harsh about it. They're not indispensable. They're good League One players, but there are other good League One players. So it entirely depends on wage structure. It entirely depends on budget. I'll be perfectly happy if they both stick around. I think on their day, both of them bring a hell of a lot to the pitch. But I won't be in a sim in a position that I probably would have been 18 months ago where I would be head in hand if one of them did leave to you know, go to another club if we had a, a potential replacement in line. If we need to make a decision on the, the two of them, I would rather keep Marcus Harness than Ronan Curtis. Agreed. He's, you know, 11 goals. He's, he's by the by the metrics, our, our best dribbler from a success rate. He looks like he can he can open teams up and generally he's he's a little bit more dangerous on the ball whilst Curtis has looked a little bit flat, really, for, for a lot of the year. Not, not because of, effort I think some people try and put out there but really just that Harness is being a more effective player for us now Curtis you know if he goes again I'm not going to be upset I'm not saying we should sell him but Harness I want us to retain I want us to to renew his contract and I think he's a player that will have a lot of value when you re-sign him and if you do need to sell him again in January or the summer if you do want to put a valuation on his head and build that into a contract so that he can leave at a certain value. I've got absolutely no problem with that. But letting a player like that go who, you know, from the outside, people talk about him as one of the best attacking midfielders in this league and how championship teams would be interested in him. You know, you listen to even sort of podcasts like Not the Top 20, you know, you hit George Ellick and Ali Maxwell talking about how a championship team could take a punt on him and he'd be a good player. You've got to think you can't let those players go for free. You need to sign him and then see how it goes next season. But for me, keep Marcus Harness, Ronan Curtis, jury's out. Jack Solman messaged in and he says, Hurst and extend Aiden's contract. Well, Jack, you seem to be on the same page as everyone else here. Cheers for messaging him. Matt messages in and he says, Hurst has won over the fans after such a poor start. Would love to see him have another season and really crack on. Aiden O'Brien also deserves an extension. Apparently, we loaned in a bloke called Tyler Walker. But he must still be on his way, as we haven't seen him yet. Well, we definitely haven't seen the player we thought we signed, have we, Andy? I genuinely think we found what is usually a unicorn on the south on the south coast, which is a topic that everyone seems aligned on. Which is yes, George Hurst, yes, Aidan O'Brien, 
thanks for your effort, but no thank you long term to Tyler Walker. Uh, so it makes it very difficult to have a critical discussion about when everyone agrees. So yeah, I'm looking forward to no doubt some of the other topics we have here where there's a bit more of a split, which uh, I know that there are some topics along those lines. Yeah, there's always going to be Andy, but it's actually nice to see everyone happy after a victory and united on a topic. It, it's always good when things are going well and people agree with each other. Pompey X and O's messaged in and he said, a couple of questions to you guys. Although they're not strikers, do you think the club will do all it takes to sign, re-sign Harness and Jacobs? Or will those roles be added to the list of vacancies that the club will need to fill this summer? I've talked about Marcus Harness a minute ago. Boys, feel free to jump in on that as well if you've got more to add. Michael Jacobs. It's talked about a lot in the press that Pompey aren't going to re-sign him, really. I would like to see him re-signed. I don't know what the money that would cause. And I do believe Danny Cowley talked about wanting to sign him, but something linked to performance and injuries. And I can't really see Jacob signing a, a pay-as-you-play Louis Thompson-style contract. I think that's just not going to happen, is it? No, no I don't think it would be a... I don't think it would be a like a pay-as-you-play as Thompson, but I think I think he's referring to like bonus-led. So, so the wage is down, but the assist bonus and the goal bonus would be very high if he plays. I've always assumed that Jacobs' contract was too big for Pompey already. He was classed as one of the high earners when people were sort of thinking, what on earth are we going to do with him when he when he was linked to Ipswich at the beginning of the season and wasn't being played? I always assumed that Pompey would just play out his contract regardless of his performances on the pitch. And I just think that will continue there, even though I still think it would be a good get to re-sign Jacobs. But I just think an upper-tier League One club, maybe one of the relegated teams in the Championship, would just pay championship money and sign him in the summer I always thought that was the case I don't know what you guys think anyway yeah, he's worth a lot more than pay, per, pay to play he's been one of our better players all season I don't want to just be a broken record here I've spoken about it in the previous weeks Jacobs consistently is a game changing player when he comes on as a sub when we look flat when he starts he's an impact player he runs at the other defense, uh, opposition defence when we look a bit bereft of ideas. I would want him on a longer deal. I think he's, yeah, one of the key players in our squad. And I think he is a player of the standard we need to be a playoff forward slash automatics, lol, uh, level club, which obviously we aren't at the moment. And if you're going to be extremely harsh and, you know, sort the wheat from the chaff a little bit and cut the players that maybe you don't think are of that standard and trim down that squad... To, well, it can't be trimmed that much more, can it? But only keep a certain number of players. I would put him in the the group that I keep if I was trying to build a promotion chasing squad almost from scratch. He'd be one of my core group, to be honest with you. Another question quickly was, depending on recruitment of attacking players occupying roles in the final third, is it likely that low knees will fill whatever void, be it nine or ten, that the club can't tie down in the summer? I think some of the success for the team building in the summer will be the balance of getting a key key players in and then just supplementing those with loans as we've already spoken about if all of our players that we're going to rely on next season are new fresh loans i think we're in for a bit of trouble for anywhere what would you say i agree and it and it, bringing in a lot of first team loans doesn't fit with the new transfer policy they want to implement because the board has said they want to bring in younger players, development them and 
make them grow as a team and then sell them on. If you're having five first-team loan players in every game, that's not going to happen. You've just lied at that point. And one last one, Nigel Rush messaged in. He said, hi guys, love the show. Cheers, Nigel. Quick question. Do you think the Pompey suffer every transfer window by Cowley basically signing players too late in the window? Boys, do we think leaving it to the last moment is a failed transfer strategy, Freddie Webb? I think it is. I think I'd, I'd rather see it than hastily bringing in the first player you see by the first week of preseason at every slot and then realising, oh, there were much better options if I was more patient. Oh, this player's not as good as I thought he was because I didn't scout him properly. I think, I'd, again, I'd prefer how Cowley did it where he tried to fully understand how good each player was before signing them rather than just a mad rush on the first day of the summer to fit like your entire team. Andy Mitchell, Joe Morell, good example of being patient and getting a player you want? Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's a balance, isn't it? I know that's a very sit-on-the-fence kind of answer. But scouting doesn't just start when the off-season begins. You know, it's going on throughout the entire season in the hope that uh, in the hope that you can sign players early doors in the transfer window. So we said in the other week about you know, the Cowleys were reportedly at a Northampton Town game. I can't remember who it was against, Fred. Can you remember? You, you had a couple of players that you thought they might have been looking at. Bristol Rovers? Was it Bristol I Rovers? I to say. I'd have to look that up again. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not just Scout, something that Scouting Barton for an assistant coaching role, I think it was actually. Uh, there's enough chavy trainers already in Fratton without Joey Barton turning up on the touchline in his bright white Nike's little prick that he is. And <laughs> I should, uh, yeah, shoot from the hip a little bit more. Yeah, it's a balance between getting the players that you know you want and I think Morel was a bit different because he was sort of, you know, first transfer window under new management. And in theory, they should have been doing that sort of scouting and having these conversations for the last 12 months or so now. So I'd imagine they've got names in mind already, which would hopefully mean they don't have to leave it late in the transfer window. I don't want to see a squad assembled in the last week. It screams of panic. And we know what happens in the latest stages of transfer windows when clubs know that other clubs are desperate and prices go up. And then clubs aren't willing to pay those prices and then no one comes in. We've seen it happen multiple times at multiple clubs. And I wouldn't think Pompey would be any different from what I've seen. So I'd rather see it formed earlier in the window. And then maybe one player has been identified as a, yes, we want that player, even if it is later in the window, like a Joe Morrell, where maybe you've got to be a little bit more patient and do a bit more groundwork in the off-season. But for the most part, you want your spine of the squad to have as much time together as possible in the off-season. You can't afford to be spending pre-season doing that and trying to get a bit of cohesion when it should have been happening on the training pitch over summer. Yeah, Cowley was at the a game against Hartlepool, not Bristol Rovers, another team that play in blue and white anyway. Yeah, so basically, Nigel, we sort of agree and we sort of don't, but I think it's got to be a mixture of getting key players in. Um, but some players you have to wait for in order to stop Ipswich coming in and nabbing him. But there you go. Thanks everyone who messaged in. It's really appreciated. If you've got any questions you're listening and you're not on twitter feel free to email us because i'm actually checking the email account now poforecast at gmail.com and the voice notes get them in yeah yeah do it do it like uh like peter did and uh pop in a voice note and we'll and we'll add it into the show right boys lincoln city danny cowley's girlfriend team ex-girlfriend team let's be honest that's where they are now blast from the past They've not been in good form. Disappointing team. I think one of the most disappointing teams this season in the league. I'm looking at the last games they've played. They've got one win in the last six. 
although they have played some pretty difficult teams, they lost 3-1 to Wigan last out. They drew away at Fleetwood, battling for points, and they managed to lose. So the last, the only win they had in that time was a 2-1 win away at Charlton. They've lost to Shrewsbury. They drew with Sunderland at home. It's, good, it's a good point. But, you know, again, they, they lost 2-1 away at Rotherham. So they've had quite a tough run, but they really haven't put things together. Players like Brendan Johnson, who they lost last year, they've gone on to do great things at Nottingham Forest that they really haven't been able to replace him. Apart from they brought in one player, obviously, to, to replace all those goals that Brendan Johnson had and the assists. John Marquess. Now, he didn't start the last game, boys, but are we putting any serious money on him scoring a goal against Portsmouth if he comes on? Seems set, isn't it? Fratton end, 89th minute. No, I'm... <laughs> I don't want to say anything that can be taken as a soundbite in a week's time. I'm, I would feel less threatened by him than I would be by other returning strikers to Portsmouth, to Fratton Park this season. If I'm honest, I think part of our backline will know him pretty well. And I would like to think it'll be one of those occasions where Raggett is able to almost mark him out of the game if needs be. I think Raggett would have his number. And I mean, last week he came on against uh, against Wigan and it looks like Jack Watmore pretty much had him in his pocket. Wigan came out 3-1 winners. So I'd hope the same would happen again. He's seeing a lot of his old friends, isn't he, in this, this week, John Marquis, up against Watmore last week, up against Raggett this weekend, um, playing against Tom Naylor last week as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to score. I think... Chris Maguire is one of those players who can really, you know, he likes to make a point as he did against Sunderland earlier this season. Sort of, I think it was, uh, he ran up and sort of just shouted in Lee Johnson's face, didn't he, against Sunderland, scoring a hat-trick earlier this year, which was <laughs> quite sexy, really. I quite, quite enjoyed that. But um, I'd be more worried about Chris Maguire and I rate Conor McGrandles as well. He's another player who uh, I used to sign on Football Manager 18 and 19 on my Pompey saves early on, get him in centre mid did a good job for me. So I rate him purely based off uh, computer-based metrics rather than anything that's actually happened in the real world. But uh, yeah, I'm not not overly worried by John Marquis. So if anyone does fancy putting some money on it, not that we endorse betting, it's probably a fairly safe bet. Now I've I've downplayed his danger. I mean, we're talking about Anthony... strikers, weren't we? He hasn't scored in his last eight. He's got a brace against Sheffield Wednesday and a 3-1 win. But playing against, yeah, playing his last eight where it where six of them were starting, he hasn't scored. Many of those games, he didn't have a shot as well. Obviously, um, I've not watched all these games, so it might just be the lack of service issue, which uh, Ports have had a fair bit, or his touch might have been bad. But yeah, we'll have to see on that one. It will be uh, Sod's Law if he scores against us, obviously. Yeah, Anthony Scully with the player you think is the more of a danger man to watch. He play, playing on the on the left-hand side of a three up front in a 4-3-3. Ten goals in the league this season, seven assists as well. His finishing's good, his, his through balls are good. He's the man we need to literally mark out the game in that sense. So you have to be a little bit more careful at the right-back position, I think, rather than worrying about John Marquis there. Chris Maguire loves the game against Pompey, doesn't he? You know, he likes that as well. Other players we can look at, I suppose. I don't know, Freddie, if you want to touch on anyone before I start going through the whole team. But, you know, I quite like Bishop as well in midfield. Um, do you want to touch on any of the players before we uh, I move us on to the final section of the podcast? 
you mentioned Teddy Bishop. I do like him in centre midfield. Proper box to box player that helps. That helps Lincoln a fair bit. Um, yeah, they just, it just seems like uh, Pompey, Pompey on paper are slightly above them. They're similar in the way that both teams can be, have been inconsistent throughout the season. They can take scalps off the bigger teams, but can also equally lose to lesser opposition. But hopefully, with Pompey's win on Tuesday, they could try and kick on a little bit. She's just having a quick look at the table. You know, Fleet, um, excuse me, Lincoln in 18th place, 46 points. So eight points clear of Gillingham at the bottom there. They're pretty much safe in that sense, not mathematically, but you know, they are pretty much safe. They'll still be wanting to get a win, won't they, to try and pull themselves out of that question, I suppose, of who could get relegated. I was, I was trying to see if they were mathematically clear and they're not. So they will come to us to try and get the win and they will be up for it in that sense. Whether they can actually turn that motivation into actual performances, I don't really think they will. They've been really disappointing this year as I've already said before. But I think Pompey should be able to get this game really by attacking at Lincoln. So, boys, let's get into the score prediction quickly part of the game. Andy Mitchmore, I want to know your score prediction for the game and any goal scorers, please. I'll go with the one I'll draw. I think Lincoln will, they realistically, they need a point to be definitely safe. I don't even think they really need that. I think they'll come with more likelihood of not being on the beach than Pompey and you I mean you look at I know I've just written off John Marquis but you look at the number of Pompey links there are there with you know Marquis with Maguire with you know Appleton managing them yeah something's got to give I, I think it'll be a one-all draw and goal scorer wise because I've picked them up a decent amount on this pod I'll go George Hurst which is a bit of a cop-out but uh, yeah one-all draw for me Freddie Webb do you agree with Andy slightly modest score prediction should we say uh, I'm going to go out on a limb because of all the ex-Pompey connections, <clear throat> all of them are going, to sc- are going to score, but Pompey are the better side. So I'm going to go with a 3-2 Portsmouth win with Maguire and Marquis scoring for Lincoln. But for Pompey, it will be Hurst scoring a brace with Michael Jacobs getting the third. And I'm going to go for a 3-1 Pompey win. I think we've got to try and harness this sort of positivity that's going on after this one game. This, mate. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I didn't even mean it, to be honest, mate. That's how tired I am at the end of the podcast. Let's just try and get some of that positivity going and try and get a win here. I've looked at Lincoln. The last time they scored multiple goals in a game was... Well, they haven't in the last six. They've only scored one, effectively, or more, so I can't see them scoring two unless Freddie Webb thinks it's going to be goals galore, which I can't really see with our centre-backs at the back there. So I'm going to go for 3-1 Pompey win. Two for Hurst, one for Harness, bish bash bosh, and we're in. Boys, the battle for ninth place is on. <laughs> Just before we round the show up, congratulations to Rebecca, Eleanor, friend of the show, um, on her new position to be the ambassador for her game too. Yeah, I think it's really needed at the club. You need to get a bit of balance. People need to accept people from all walks of life as well. So uh, we re- wish Rebecca all the best in her new venture representing Pompey, really, in that sense. I suppose this would be done with the club. So if it has done, then well done for the club as well for getting involved and signing up to something. I think it's a long time, a long time waiting, really. Yeah, I think should have happened before now, if I'm being honest. I'm, I follow women's football quite a lot and I think Pompey are behind the curve with this. 
better late than ever, I suppose. But yeah, good luck to Rebecca for uh, for everything going forward. I think if Pompey, uh, yeah, we're claiming to be a, a family club, actions speak louder than words. It's time to back that up. You know, some of the stuff you hear in the Fratton end, I mean, obviously it's been at the fore this week for various reasons, but completely aside from that, this season we've heard homophobic crap in the Fratton end. We've heard sexist crap in the Fratton end. And the whole, it's football, you should be free to say whatever you want, bullshit, to be honest with you. You don't just go outside of what is socially acceptable. It's not being woke. It's not being easily offended. It's just not being a prick, really. So it's nice to see that, yeah, Pompey have taken some action. And uh, yeah, all the best to Rebecca and Rebecca being the, the Her Game 2 ambassador for Pompey. The, the Pompey women's team, of, you know, we, we see Chiv doing his video blogs uh, for the for the Pompey women. I really enjoy following their results throughout the season. Chiv does a great job. And uh, yeah, anything that we can do to be championing that, we absolutely should be doing. So it's nice to see this uh, this action take place. And all I'll add to that is football's a sport that should be for everyone and no one should feel uncomfortable or unable to go to a football match where it's a day out and they get to support and enjoy their football club. No one should feel like they shouldn't be able to go to the ground because some people's opinions date back to the 1970s. So uh, I do agree. Well done, Rebecca, for being the new ambassador. And I'm sure Rebecca will bump into you on the way down to the game at some point. As often see you on the train on the way down before we go and grab some beers. So oh, I congratulate you in person. But boys, it's been great on the podcast. Freddie Webb. Thanks so much for having me on as usual. Uh, see you guys on Friday for, for Lincoln at Home. I need to buy my ticket, actually. I'll do that now after the show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually coming around quicker, which is nice. Four-day weekend for me. Um, and I suppose most people listening... Sorry to you lot who have to work over the weekend, but you know, that's unfortunate. Andy Mitchmore, it's been great having you back on the show. The three of us back together again for a second week running. Thank you, mate. Yeah, always a pleasure, never a chore. It's just, yeah, now the season's dead. It takes a bit of pressure off looking at all the positives, I guess. Uh, yeah, lovely to spend some time with you both. As always, looking forward to some Bev's pre-game. And until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!